Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. We're back for another episode of this stuff. Um, (laughs) (laughs) This stuff. (laughs) This stuff. Yeah. Today on this podcast that you have chosen to listen to, we are going to talk about chapter three of season three, the case of the missing lifeguard. A Nancy Drew mystery. A Nancy Drew mystery. (laughs) It's it's actually the 57th book. Is it really? (laughs) No. Oh. (laughs) I believed you. No, it is not. (laughs) Yeah, so today that's what we are going to talk about. We are going to go through our summary, our fast facts, and our scene by scene, and that's just the plan. That's always the plan, so let's do it. That is. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. So a quick summary of this episode. This episode was written by William Bridges. This is a new writer. Yeah. And then this episode was directed by Sean Levy, and Mm -hmm. Sean is a recurring director, as we know. And this episode aired on July 4th, 2019. Wow. Amazing. Wow. So weird. Who knew? I know. Not me. And here is the summary straight from Netflix. With Elle and Max looking for Billy, Will declares a day without <laughs> girls. Really? <laughs> Steve and Dustin go on a stakeout, and Joyce and Hopper return to Hawkins' lab. Once again, thank goodness we're here to fill in these gaps. Yeah, because what is this? I would love to just read all the summaries like back to back and see how much of the story we could surmise wow. from just these awful summaries. That would actually be a really funny episode. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for some fast facts for this episode, Marina questioned, as I kind of joked about in the beginning of this episode, is this name of the chapter a nod to Nancy Drew? I think so. It, it, it feels like it is. It has to be. I mean, they even make, they make the, what do they say? What do the stupids say? At oh, Hawkins yeah. At, the, at the the case of the missing fertilizer or whatever. Yeah, and the case of the missing mustard. Oh, like, they keep yeah. making Nancy Drew references. So yeah. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say the case of the missing lifeguard. Yeah. It's supposed to be a Nancy Drew nod. It feels right. It does. This episode contains our first F-bomb of the series. It is hard to hear. But it's there. Will yeah. yells it while destroying Castle Byers. It's, but it's tough to hear because of the rain, and they kind of edit it. Like, you can't really hear what he's saying, but if you pay attention closely, it is there. I think it is. When I watched it the other day, I watched it like, okay, I'm going to focus and see if I can get this from it. And mm-hmm. I do think you can hear it subtly in yes. there. Yeah. For sure. And then this fast fact I thought was actually kind of fun. This chapter's title is the longest of the series so far, and that includes hmm. chapter f- or that includes season four as well. That makes sense. Yeah, there are a few others that do feel long, like the monster and the superhero, or the flea and the acrobat, but those are both five. Yeah. So the case of the missing lifeguard. Yeah. Six. It's a long one. It is a long one. Okay. 
All right, so let's get into our scene by scene. Let's do it. Max and Elle hang out in her bedroom at Hopper's cabin. Max sings along and dances to Angel by Madonna, while Elle discovers Ralph Macchio in a magazine. <laughs> Ooh. Macchio. Max weirdly asks if Mike is a good kisser and then tries to console Elle when she gets sad about their breakup. They laugh about how they would kill to see the boys' stupid faces as they wallow in self-pity. But Elle has an idea. Time to spy on the boys in her mind void. Hmm. And just like Max thought, Mike is just wallowing on the couch while Lucas assures Mike he did nothing wrong and that he is the victim. So silly. <laughs> Meanwhile, Will meticulously sets up a D&D game. Lucas and Mike spout a bunch of other weird misogynistic stuff about how women are a different species who act on emotion, not logic. Will desperately tries to get them to get over it and play D&D. Mike disgustingly burps up Dorito cheese and Lucas farts, which echoes out of its current dimension <laughs> and il- into Elle's room. The girls laugh, horrified. They say we are species. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I love uh, Max's reactions when she's like saying all like Elle doesn't know what she's saying. Right. But, but Max's reaction is so funny. I know. I also like it when Max is like getting all excited and Elle is like, Max, please calm down. She's <laughs> Shut like, oh, up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> trying to focus. This this scene always made me wonder. We never really get another indication of this, but it always made me wonder if Max had like a weird like hate crush on Mike a little bit. Like, hmm. I, don't I know. can see. Interesting. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like, is Mike a good kisser? Yeah. Like, why do you want to know? Well, I could be your Zoomer. <laughs> okay. Oh, maybe. Right? Maybe she did have a hate crush. Yeah, a hate crush. <laughs> it is so satisfying, though, to see them, like, being girlies. Yeah. And they're, like, like Max is, like, dancing around, and Elle's, like, flipping through a teeny bobber magazine. So cute. Like, J14 or mm-hmm. something from, like, you know, our, our yes. youth. Or, like, Tiger Beat. <laughs> Tiger Beat. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Those inner, the center folds of Tiger Beat. Of Jesse McCartney. <laughs> Jesse McCartney. <laughs> Ryan <Wow>. Cabrera. <laughs> oh, the center fold. Oh, my God. <laughs> you guys should see my wall mm-hmm. in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. We should, we should maybe dig that out. <laughs> I think oh, the, God. I think it would entertain the people. Yeah. Uh, I also just wanted to say I like this scene because it's one of or maybe the first time we see the mind void not used for a scary purpose. Oh, you're so right. It is. It's like a like a like um like a recreational mind void yeah. usage. <laughs> yeah. Leisure. Yes, for leisure, not for business. <laughs> exactly. But like this is truly an invasion of privacy. It is. It like is. can we just turn the tables really quick? Yeah, this would be really messed up for Mike to do to her. Yeah, so therefore, it is equally as messed up for yes. L to be doing to Mike. Not cool. Not cool, L. Not cool. Yeah, like, it's it's all fun and cute and whatever, but, like, in real life, this is very rude and it's, it's, invasive. It's yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, we said this, I don't know if we said it in our Eleven episode, but, like, who knows what you accidentally could have seen. For real. You don't know. Things L was not ready to see. Could've, Precisely. Could have happened. <laughs> Precisely. Also, Kids 2 is playing. Oh, so sweet. Yeah. Hopper pulls up, having clearly committed a DUI. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) He hears loud music coming from Elle's room and bursts through her door in a rage, but is quickly sobered up when he realizes it's Max with her, not Mike. Elle asks if Max can sleep over, and Hopper happily agrees. 
Content with Elle's new girlfriend, he pours himself some Chianti, kicks back on his recliner, and relaxes. Speaking of invasion of privacy. Right? Man's just barged right into his teenage daughter's room. I know. Like, what if she was just... I don't know. Whatever. But, okay. If I was Max and, like, someone else's dad burst into the room like that, I would simply jump out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Simply. Yeah. I would not be staying there. I'd be so scared of that man. Well, like, Max gets snarky with Hopper here yeah. for and but he reacts to Max's snark so differently than he was reacting to Mike's snark. Very true. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 sure, 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 sure. Yeah. <laughs> does, does, your, does your parents know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> oh, poor Hop. I know. He's in rough shape. He really... Well, speaking of, I, I have to know if Max's parents actually do know where she is because... Mm valid i would not <laughs> if i was a parent i'd be like oh you mean his cabin off the grid in the middle of the woods with this that, clear- like, does anybody even know about that with his clearly unstableness i don't know and also this random child he acquired yeah where did this kid come from <laughs> through informal systems like yeah i, I don't know <laughs> so strange but like i like to see max and l in this like sleepover environment because yeah in the same way that Mike kind of did for Elle in season one, Max is introducing Elle to these like concepts or these ideas of a sleepover yeah. and spin the bottle yes. and all of these fun little things. And it makes you kind of remember that in contrast to Elle, Max is normal. Like, yeah, she grew up normally for the most part outside of the issues within her immediate family. Like she went to school and grew up like a normal young teenage girl yeah true and Elle did not no she did not but yeah i love i love the scene too like just the way Elle says a sleepover like she learned this word and she's using it in a right sentence. right <laughs> can you use that in a sentence that's her right now max and Elle play a psychic version of spin the bottle prepared to spy on whoever the bottle lands on our choices are steve nancy mr clark billy Mrs. Wheeler. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Dustin, and for some reason, Ted Wheeler. Like, why? Who wrote that there? I, the bottle lands first on that ham sandwich of a man, and the girls decide that he is too boring. Why did you put him there anyway? Honestly, you made the choice <laughs> yeah, to include him. You put him there. The bottle then lands on Billy. Max begins to warn Elle that Billy is a weirdo and she can abort mission if things are gross. Elle's void brings her to right in front of Billy's car. She sees that the windshield is shattered and there is no one inside, but hears whimpering in the distance. She sees Billy kneeling over Heather, telling her not to be afraid. As Elle moves closer, Billy turns around and looks her right in the eyes, signaling to Elle that he knows she was there. Billy stares and sees the phantom of Elle fading away. Elle comes out of her void in a panic as Max asks what happened. We still have not seen the title card, by the no, way. we have not. <laughs> yeah, this scene really spooked me. Like, the first time I, I saw this season, this mm-hmm. was the first, like, really, I, yeah, I really was rattled by, like, just him looking through her. Yeah, and I think it's, like, eerie to see her flickering. Yes. Like, she's oh. almost, like, flickering, right, when he yes. looks at her. And it's also cool to see how it catches her off guard that she's being perceived because like she knows that mike has more or less perceived her before but not not like this acutely like Mm -hmm. billy makes eye contact yeah it's so creepy 
it is very it's disturbing it's a good spooky horror scene though they did it well this yeah. whole chapter is just rich it is with the with the spook it is also when max is finding static on the radio for l it briefly sounds like we hear kids oh for like coming moment. through the radio yeah like hmm. for a quick moment so i don't know if that was an intentional easter egg or if i am hearing things now that's what i call stranger things is playing <laughs> They forgot to take the cassette out. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to take a second for us to imagine what all of these people were actually doing. Oh, I love right that. now. Like, is Mr. Clark still with Joyce? Mm. Because this yeah. is the night of the mall rats. Right. So they might have seen that. They might have seen Mr. Clark with Joyce, which out of context, like. Would be very weird. <laughs> would be very weird. Yeah. But also, this is. We're meant to understand that this is the end of the Mallrats from Max's and Elle's perspective. Is that correct? Yeah, it kind of seems like they just took the bus straight from the mall to the cabin. The bus stop in the yeah. in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> the woodland bus stop. How did they get there? <laughs> you know, I'm just imagining Elle like, okay, so be careful. There's the trip wire. Just step <laughs> over it. <laughs> and Max is like, all right oh don't mind him that's mr fibley <laughs> that's mr fibley um <laughs> uh, and steve probably just would have been like at work or closing up shop or whatever for sure and uh, nancy and jonathan like you don't know what you could have if you had chosen if nancy <laughs> mrs wheeler like what the <laughs> fuck was she doing <laughs> oh oh god reading a harlequin novel in her bathtub probably so I just thought that was kind of a funny perspective. I know. What are they all doing? So for the next scene, I wrote that it's pouring rain and Ted Wheeler is mowing the lawn. But I've come to realize that it may not actually be pouring rain. Yeah, it's like the storm is rolling in. Yeah, like it's and just, he just really windy. Yeah, he was like in the middle of mowing the lawn and then the storm starts to come in. Yes, that makes more sense because I had some questions. But honestly, my biggest question is why is Ted mowing the lawn and not Mike? It seems like that's something that Ted would, like, delegate to Mike and, like, make him do it. But whatever. I digress. <laughs> I just want to say, though, I don't see Ted as a delegator at all. That's true. Like, I can't imagine him giving his children tasks. Yeah, that's very true. The, the least he has to interact with his children, the better, probably. Yeah, he's so hands-off yeah. and passive. They don't strike me as chore children. Like That's true. They, they just like did nancy do chores like did she that girl did not do chores wash a dish right like it just didn't occur mike didn't take out the garbage no that's all right? ted it's all ted you're right because what else is he doing <laughs> this is very true what karen doesn't delegate anything to her children because she's like my husband does nothing <laughs> he could do it <laughs> he's the chore man <laughs> oh anyway what a digression but whatever now we know but enough about ted awaken young lads <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> William the Wise is here, and it is time to save the villagers in a day without girls. Yay. Mike and Lucas are not amused. Will guilts them into complying by talking about the dying villagers. I have a lot to say about the sleepover that clearly ensued here. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. My first question is, did Will bring this getup with him to sleep over <laughs> Mike's house? Okay. My, my guess is that they just have like a trunk of their costumes in Mike's basement. Okay. That's, okay. All that right. Makes sense to me because that's where and they then, play, right? Okay. So the trunk of costumes in the Wheeler basement, yeah, is what Will d 
Drew himself looking like <laughs> in the image of himself as Will the Wise. Apparently. Like, that's his costume. Yes, it stays at Mike's, though. Okay. The other thing that this reminds me of, and I just have a little, like, anecdote to share. It just reminds me of when you sleep over your friend's house and you wake up before your friend. Oh, my God. And you, like, don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah. And you don't want to pee because you might run into, like, their dad in the hallway. God forbid. Right. It's awful. Yeah. But it specifically reminds me of one time that I slept over your house (laughs) and I was taking a shower and the entire shower curtain rod fell (laughs) in the middle of my shower. And I was just like naked and wet and unsure of how to proceed. I'm pretty sure I just finished my shower and then like came out and was like, (laughs) help, help Amanda's aunt. (laughs) Naked and afraid. Naked and afraid. (laughs) 13 year old adolescent girl naked and afraid in her friend's shower with no curtain oh my god there's something that about a shower curtain rod falling that is just like such a low point it really is like you look up and you're like oh oh god this is where i am now okay (laughs) and it's all sticking to you yeah the shower is exposed the water is leaving it just this is again another digression but it just really reminded me of this this the awkwardness of sleepovers yes right sleepovers are very awkward but you know our friendship really started when we had a random awkward sleepover when we barely knew each other and that's what ellen max are doing so right so true right so true bringing it back okay hopper takes a shower and some aspirin speaking of showers chugs milk straight out of the carton Mmm hangover food delicious and meanders around in only a towel despite believing there are two teenage girls in his house but okay he sees a note on the fridge from Elle saying that they went to max's house and thank goodness for that just then joyce knocks at the door frantically and hopper sarcastically greets her and then berates her for standing him up she ignores him showing him the magnets that won't stick to the fridge she tries to explain what mr clark told her while hopper acts like a jealous child because apparently that's her new boyfriend now Joyce goes on shouting at a wall about how she believes it's Hawkins' lab doing this. She asks Hopper to go back to the lab with her to prove that they are not involved. Hopper agrees, then sarcastically says he will probably just stand her up, though. Oh, my God. He gets changed, gaslighting Joyce through his bedroom door, curtain, throughout, only to discover she is outside already and on the way to the lab on her own. A lot of season one stuff happening here to me. A lot of season one stuff, you said? Yeah, like joyce carrying magnets around in her purse so that she can demonstrate (laughs) that these magnets don't function is just really reminding me of the christmas lights fair yeah just like walking around and then also her going into hopper's shed coming out with the bolt cutters just really reminds me of her going into her own shed and coming out with the axe in season one yes so love that Uh, to be fair to to hopper here joyce should Mm -hmm. apologize for standing him up that was not cool I agree with you. I think this is a... Both of them were are, are wrong. They yeah. are mutually incorrect. Like, you made the really good point a couple weeks ago about how Hopper, when he didn't see Joyce, he should have been like, where the fuck is Joyce? Like, are you good? Yeah, like, are you well? Are you alive? Circumstances in the past have indicated that you might perhaps be in danger. Right. Are you in danger again? And on, you know, to your point just now, Joyce should be like, shit. Yeah. I am sorry. I am sorry. Right. It's not that hard. You you did stand him up. Whether he's your friend or your boyfriend, it doesn't matter. Don't mm-hmm. stand people up. That's not nice. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Like, this should have been a mutual Apology. process. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. 
Elle and Max walk toward the Hargrove house as it begins to thunder outside. Max is reluctant about this plan, believing Elle might be confused about what she saw. She tries to explain that sometimes when Billy is with a girl, they make happy screams. But maybe she'll just lend Elle her mom's Cosmo. Inside, the girls look through Billy's room, only finding porn, to which Max iconically says, gag me with a spoon. (laughs) Giving up on that, they try the bathroom. Elle discovers bags of melted ice in the bathtub, but Max says Billy often ices his muscles after working out a lot. Elle notices blood on the bathroom cabinet, and when she opens it, she finds a lifeguard fanny pack and whistle, both bloody, in the garbage can. So, are we... You might have the answer to this. Are we meant to understand that Billy brought Heather to his house? Oh, that's a good question. Because in the scene of Elle, in the, when she's spying on Billy, doesn't Heather come up out of a bathtub? Oh, yeah. A bathtub full of ice. Yeah. So, so did Billy, like, bring Heather to his house to put her on ice real quick? <laughs> okay, I just don't understand. Me either. She's like, a, like shellfish. <laughs> and the confusing part here is... And this is really dumb, but I'm going to say it anyway. The bathtub that Elle sees Heather in is a clawfoot tub, and the Hargrove's tub is not a clawfoot tub. Yeah, that's also true. I don't think that's dumb at all. I think it's almost like, okay, this is going to be a really weird abstract <laughs> reference I'm going to make, but okay. if, if you took intro to philosophy at any point in your life, you would know about Plato and his forms and how, like... There is the form of a bathtub. Ah, yes. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, you it's close just your eyes. bathtub. What you bathtub. picture. Yeah, so so Elle's mind void didn't depict the exact bathtub, okay. but just a bathtub, I, perhaps. I, yeah, that's actually what I was thinking, too. Like, it's like, it's not that she's physically seeing what is happening to Heather. Heather is trying to communicate something to her. Sure, yes, and it's just bathtub. Yes, bathtub. I'm in it. I'm drowning. Help me right yeah okay i like i like that so yeah are we to believe that he just like dragged this girl's lifeless body into his own bathroom but that doesn't that doesn't make and why was it oh uh, okay so let's just do like a quick timeline so he knocks her out in the shower at the pool brings her to brimborn steelworks where she is flayed more or less right and then after that happens we don't know what happens to her after she's flayed. We just know that the last time we saw her, she was being flayed, and then she's baking cookies in her house, right? True. So did he, in between her being flayed and bringing her to her home to bake cookies, bring her to his own home to bathe her? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That actually does kind of make sense. So here's my guess. She got flayed. And then she was still just like unconscious and he needed something to do with her and he likes it cold. So he does like it cold. He had to put her in an ice bath to, you know, keep her cold. Yeah, because why why would he bring her effects, her fanny pack and her whistle? Yeah. But not her. That doesn't make right. That doesn't make any sense. To her ha- to like why would he just have those things on her? Yeah. Very strange. I don't know. Does anybody know? Does anybody out there know? Yeah, that would be good. Like, I I feel like I've said this before, but it always, like, if I'm in the car listening to a podcast and the podcasters are talking about something really obvious, it's, like, infuriating to me. So I'm really sorry. Maybe that's us right now. If we're doing that, um, please let us know. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes I feel like we're so immersed in the content of this show that we forget obvious things. It's very possible. So let us know. Yeah. 
I do appreciate the gathering of clues that's happening here. Yeah, though. again, very Nancy Drew. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's like they find the the um the bags of ice and then the fanny pack and then the bloody whistle and it's just like they come in and they find they like gather clues and it's just it's cute it is they're detectives i know and uh, speaking of which max is trying so hard to rationalize all she this. is like yeah. i think she desperately wants to be wrong i i think so too and i think it shows that she knows her brother is shit yeah but he's not shitty shit right right like she there's a threshold i think she wants like all the stuff she talks about in dear billy i think that that's stuff that she always wanted and hoped mm. they could have one day mm-hmm. and I, I don't think it's just his death that made her realize all this like i think always she wanted she wanted him to be better and be be the brother that she had hoped for i agree yeah and just before we move on it's just ice off the season three score Ooh is a sneaky a sneaky sneaky it's a good one i like that yeah meanwhile jonathan develops the photos from nancy and jonathan's rats capade and she bravely makes her case in the boardroom in front of all the tools they inevitably laugh off her idea once again making a nancy drew joke that isn't insulting because nancy drew is awesome (laughs) tom tells her to do what she was hired to do and tell them next time a call comes in she leaves in a huff and jonathan tries but fails to console her. Are we like not meant to think that Bruce looks like Donald Trump? He does so much. He's a he's a busey. He's orange. Yeah, and his hair is yellow. Literally, I know. Well, Gary Busey, I think, looks like Trump too. <laughs> True. Like they just like is this not on purpose to some degree? And it feels like it has to be right. It like, does. Ugh. And like yeah, at the top, right? It was just like topical, you know. So it was relevant. Ugh god yeah just so awful i i have to say though i think tom is worse than any of these other douches in the room because he is in a position of power to be able to be like hey not cool not appropriate and then he makes it worse i'm glad you said that yeah Yeah. he's the biggest tool of all it's so true what you do with your power position yeah and it's so infuriating to me this scene that i had to take a full 24 hour break from writing the scene by scene after watching this <laughs> i was legit need to cleanse i did i was too mad to keep going this just pissed me off too much so um good job all the actors in the scene because you you've made, infuriated you us. made me hate you <laughs> yep that's a good point yeah just because it's it's good um we get lamps from the season one score here Aww. We love lamps. We lo- so we get- <laughs> we do. We we get lamps we here. Do. It's really subtle, but it's there. Yay. Back at Scoops Ahoy, Erica tries to get Robin's attention while she listens to Russian in her headphones. <laughs> I don't know what exactly she's listening to, but Robin denies her more samples. When Erica doesn't like her answer and wants to ask dad, Robin informs Erica that Steve is busy with spycraft. Down in the mall's plaza, Dustin and Steve use binoculars to spy on regular people while looking for evil Russians. Steve notices Anna Jacoby is with that meathead Mark Lewinsky. I know. Dustin tells Steve he shouldn't be looking at girls because Robin is right in front of him. Steve disagrees, saying Robin is lame and in a band. (laughs) (laughs) Dustin suggests that Steve move on from primitive constructs like high school and popularity. Steve does not like this answer, and he reminds Dustin whose advice he used to score his hotter-than-Phoebe Kate's girlfriend. Oh, Steve. 
I know. Where's the sailor man? <laughs> Where's the sailor man? <laughs> I love though how Dustin is like, what's your type again? Not awesome. <laughs> First of all, Dusty Bun. Who did Steve date in season one? Yeah, come on now. Nancy Wheeler. Who is awesome and you had a crush on. Who did you offer your leftover pizza to in The Vanishing of Will Byers and then proceed to dance with at the snowball? Obviously, she's awesome. Obviously, she is awesome. So, Dustin, come on. Wrong. Wrong. (laughs) Bring it back. Dustin is wrong. What does Robin being hyper even mean? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. It sounds like a way to articulate that she might feel it's like it's like neurodivergent yes it's like i think it's like steve's kind way of saying that she is neurodivergent yeah that seems like what's happening that's that was kind of my guess too okay i'm glad we're on the same yeah um also i feel like this is like the beginning of some steve and dustin tension yeah i could see that this whole like back and forth with them moving through the mall and and yeah yes they're they're like butting heads the whole time yeah, I feel like it kind of starts this little, like, power struggle between them mm. that kind of leaks into season four also, where, like, Steve is sort of vying for Dustin's attention. Dustin is sort of vying for Steve's attention, but not really. It's very weird. But, but they're also, like, constantly at odds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it kind of feels like a little bit of the start of that. Yeah. Back at the Wheelers, the D&D campaign plods along. Will enthusiastically serves as Dungeon Master while Mike and Lucas sarcastically play along. The phone suddenly rings, and despite Will telling them to leave it, Mike runs to answer the phone thinking it's L, but it's just a telemarketer asking about his car's extended warranty. (laughs) Lucas suggests that they call the girls themselves, but Will protests, saying the tribe still needs their help. Mike unenthusiastically finishes the campaign by sacrificing themselves. Will has had enough and removes his costume, shuts off the music, and tells Mike and Lucas to just forget about it. He storms out of the basement to go home, but Mike follows after him. In the driveway, Mike tries to convince Will to stay, but Will tells Mike that he and Lucas are ruining the party just to swap spit with stupid girls. In fact, no one even knows where Dustin is right now. Mike retorts that it's not his fault Will doesn't like girls. Uh Uh-oh. Mike tries to reason with Will, explaining that they're not kids anymore and life will move on. Will starts to cry and bikes away in the pouring rain, ignoring Mike's pleas. Before we get to, like, the sadness... I forgot to mention that the song that Will is playing is called <laughs> The Pod Dance. Yes. And it's from The Dark Crystal. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, the 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 very medieval sounding song. Yes. Is called The Pod Dance by Trevor Jones and it is from The Dark Crystal. And if you don't remember, I think we talked about this in season 1. We uh, did. Mike has a poster of that movie in his bedroom. Yes. So I wanted to mention that before we get lost in the sadness here. Okay. And also before we get lost in the sadness, <laughs> I, just, oh boy. I just have to say, okay, I know those of you out there who are clowning me for not knowing that Will was into Mike for a long time. You're out there. I know that. And I'm sure that you're like, how did you see this scene and not know that? So I will explain myself. When I first saw this, I assumed that Mike just kind of like hit a sore spot for Will because it's something that he's been bullied about not liking girls and maybe being gay and so i just assumed that mike's reaction and will's reaction both were like oh yeah i forgot like this is kind of a thing that everybody bullies him about and now i feel bad about it so 
I did not watch this being like, oh, there's our like proof that Will is gay. Like, that's not what I thought at all. So there's my explanation of that. But I think that's totally fair because right? I didn't watch this thinking that either. Because okay, I don't think that's what Mike was saying. Right. I, I actually do think that Mike was just saying like that you're not growing up as quickly as we are yeah you're not there yet like, yeah it's not my fault you're not interested in in like dating yet you know like right that's, you haven't gotten there that's what I thought too and then I I think after he said that he realized what he said and how it sounded yes okay like and and I think that like his remark is purposely ambiguous mm-hmm. obviously it can For be interpreted yeah it can be interpreted in two different ways but Mike has no reason to insinuate this from a sexuality perspective because I don't think Will has disclosed to Mike. I don't even think Will knows for sure at this point what he's feeling. And he's given no indication of this at all. Like the only reason kids at school say this about him is because he's just not like rough and tough and, you know, all those boyish stereotypes. Yeah. In the same way that like she's too hyper. Yeah. Right. Right. Like you could say, well, Will's, Will's too sensitive. Yes, Will's too sensitive. Yeah. So it's just, I, I, I don't think that like this was the moment. Okay, that's you know, good. Personally. I, I'm glad, because I, I didn't either. Um, I don't project that onto this scene. No, me either. Okay. It's just so tough because like Mike and Lucas are definitely being dicks, but Will is also being a little uh, delusional about growing up. But like at the same time, he's been through a lot of trauma he he hasn't really gotten the chance to grow up quite as normally as the other two yeah and you know there's the added layer of trying to come to terms with the fact that you are a gay youth in rural indiana in the 80s Mm -hmm. so there's a lot going on here yeah and i think will is if if he's not exploring or trying to come to terms with his sexuality He's at the very least developmentally stunted. Mm-hmm. Like he lost a part of his innocence in a way that nobody else except maybe Elle did. Yeah. So like for him to not want to jump out of that innocence further and start exploring romantic relationships. Like to me, it makes sense. He just wants to hold on to the innocence that he feels like he lost. Yeah. And like not even considering the emotional toll that that takes on you going through that trauma he literally lost time like yes he was like dead and kidnapped in another dimension and then possessed for like a month like yeah he's like literally lost time off of his life yeah and i mean you think of how the implication season two that they've been visiting owens and this has been going on Mm -hmm. and on and it's been a year and this these have been regular appointments like all of that is going to take its toll. Yeah. Your mom picking you up from school to go to this appointment. Like, how mortifying was it when your mom had to come pick you up early for an appointment? Oh, God. And especially if it's, like, a weekly appointment, because then everybody knows what you're doing. If it's yeah. weekly, everyone knows. Yeah. You're going to so, therapy. Exactly. So I just, I, I think that there's a lot happening here with Will, and I feel like we're going to just talk about it more because mm-hmm. of what happens i just again need to say that i am so excited for season five and that the writers better utilize will correctly agreed i also think that with this there's a lot with the scene there is i thought that it was interesting how the juju zombies specifically bite mike's arm but we and we also get billy's arm (gasps) oh interesting yeah that just felt like a little bit of something and then we also get 
I think the phone ringing and the quick pan to it is very season one. Yes. When the when the telemarketer calls and the the camera pans really quick to the phone like urgently. Mm hmm. And then we also get Mike and Will standing outside of his house, which is also very vanishing of Will Byers. Like Mm -hmm. it starts that way. And then what else? There was something else. Even like Max and Elle searching the Hargroves for clues reminds me of Hopper searching the buyer's house for clues. Ooh. And it's just a lot of parallels. For some reason, this chapter is just giving vanishing of Will Byers. <laughs> yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree. So I just, just wanted to point all that out. Cool. At Hawkins Pool, the pouring rain is driving away all the patrons. Elle and Max bike up to the check-in desk where they are greeted by two very aloof lifeguards telling them that the pool is closed. They are only there to see who the lifeguard fanny pack belongs to. The lifeguards tell the girls that it belongs to Heather, but they can't give it back to her today because she never showed up for her shift. Elle notices a bulletin board with pictures of all the lifeguards and rips Heather's picture down. She's going to find her. The only note I have for this scene is just that this is our first red and yellow raincoat. Mm-hmm. So that I just I feel like the co- we we start to get like colors happening a lot at this point. Yes, forward. we do. There's a lot of color coming in. Yes, to build so up for to... our very colorful finale. Yeah, so I just wanted to point out the the ketchup and mustard happening here, yes. and the stop and the caution. Oh yeah. As a person who used to work at a pool, mm-hmm. I would like to say that this is accurate. They just make you sit there for the rest of your shift when it lightnings. You just sit there. Even if nobody's going in the pool? Yeah. For for my pool that I worked at, it was what he said, 30 minutes after the last lightning strike, they open it back up. But if we don't reach like 30 minutes between lightning strikes for, I think, two hours, then we close. I know. It, it was like a whole formula. But the process of shutting down a pool that's like very large for lightning um, is really crazy because there it like at the pool i worked at there was a big metal gate surrounding Mm. the whole pool and this pool by the way was more like a lake so it was massive and this metal gate we had to go up and like lock it so that people didn't just come in yeah except it's lightning outside and it's a giant metal gate (laughs) yikes why so one time i was there when it started to lightning and me and this other girl went up to go lock the gate and we were like scrambling to lock it because obviously we didn't want to get struck by lightning and uh as we walked away the gate got struck oh my god like please yeah we were like maybe 50 feet away and we we heard it happen and we're like (sighs) oh i'm just started running (laughs) what does that sound like so loud like it just sounded like uh i don't know like kind of what it sounds like in the movies like just very like (sighs) like okay like electric yeah it sounded very electric okay yes that's horrifying sounded like electricity Uh, yeah yeah eli's holding up tears of the kingdom yes (laughs) yes there you go electric um but yeah they do they make you just sit there for the rest of your shift so i can see why these people are very aloof very upset yeah (laughs) okay are these people like like what is their problem though like they're very weird like the two lifeguards yeah this guy really freaked me out like his his demeanor was very odd hmm you didn't I get know. that? I just, I just think they seemed like they didn't want to be at work. Yeah. I guess that's it, right? I don't know. How did he Maybe. know it, it was Heather's fanny pack right away, though? I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Was it pink? No, I think it was like normal it, red lifeguard color. I don't know. That's I don't know. I, know. I don't know what would distinguish it from the other lifeguard fanny packs. I don't know either. Hmm. Weird. 
In the locker room showers, the girls turn all the water on in order to create white noise. They create blackout goggles for Elle so that she can go into her mind void. In the void, she sees a mailbox marked 1438. Behind it, a red front door materializes. When Elle opens the door, she sees a clawfoot bathtub filled with ice. As she approaches it, suddenly Heather bolts up through the icy water, cries help me, and is immediately pulled back under. Elle reaches for her, but Heather is pulled further down into the void. Elle awakens, scared, while Max asks what happened. So, yeah, we get the clawfoot tub here that -hmm. we were talking about earlier. And I just got to say, I'm really glad that I was prepped and ready for this this jump scare even before I saw it for the first time because I'm pretty sure they put that in the trailer. Yeah. Like the actual trailer for the whole season? Yeah. I think they put it in the trailer (laughs) where Heather like bolts out and is like, help me. Um, So you knew it was coming. I did. I was I was prepped and ready. Also, we love seeing distinct doors in the mind void. We do. I did a a red door deep dive. Okay, (laughs) tell us about it. All right. So I Googled red doors um, because the Holloway's red door in this mind void scene obviously felt like significant. Uh huh. And I found a really cool article called Unpacking the Red Rooms of Horror on a site called Vague Visages. And it was written by Taylor Hunsberger and it was published in September of 2020. Okay. Yeah. So in the horror genre, this is a quote, red rooms are either painted red on the inside, washed over in red lighting, or are entered through a red door. I know. I just got chills. Another quote, the spaces are supernatural and liminal. They exist somewhere in between reality and the fear that the film is exploring. Whoa. Yeah. The article specifically mentioned mm-hmm. Red Rum from The Shining and how it sounds like Red Room the more Danny says it over and over and over again. It also mentioned Insidious and The Haunting of Hill House. And both of these, the movie and the show, both make use of red doors that protect rooms controlled by demons. Or are otherwise home to scenes of violence. Wow. I know. I know. That's really good. I know. I thought that was so cool. And then the last quote is just, red rooms exist between the real and the supernatural, but they also tend to serve the intention of pushing the lead character forward in the narrative. The red room is something to conquer or contend with, just like the monsters of the real world. Wow. I love that so much. It's so exciting when I found that. I was like all giddy. yeah but i love when you said like it's like a liminal space kind of like caught between things there Mm -hmm. is such an eerie vibe in that house like yeah and we'll definitely talk more about that when we get there but yeah the the liminalness of it is definitely Mm -hmm. something liminal is a great word it is armed with bolt cutters and flashlights joyce and hopper break into the now abandoned hawkins lab Joyce sees the spot where Bob was killed. Hopper asks if she is okay and offers for her to wait in the car. However, they continue their exploration as it is revealed that a security camera is, in fact, on. Do you know why the security camera's on? I do not. Do you know why the security camera's on? No. Does anybody know why? Is this another one of those things? Those stupid podcasters. Why don't they know why the (laughs) security... Does that, why who is on the security is it just on i know i asked this question too i was like are they watching it from the bunker like and why it's a, like what do they think yeah. is gonna happen there and like why is why is um the terminator. what's his face already there why is the terminator already chilling was he i mean yeah 
They find him in the room upstairs, don't they? Oh, yeah. Maybe he's going through stuff. Oh, maybe he's, like, looking for files or something. Maybe. I don't know. I just... This whole thing. If anybody knows, please. Because to me, it was like... All right. So we're obviously supposed to to understand that they're not alone. They're being watched. Right. This premises is under surveillance. But by Which I whom? guess would be reasonable that it would be under surveillance, right? I guess. But, like... Uh, yeah, I guess we're supposed to assume that it's being watched in like the control room or whatever, but like constantly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just maybe again, maybe we are dumb. <laughs> and I, I feel like the Terminator might not have been there yet, and maybe it was seen on the cameras that Joyce and Hopper got there, and then he was sent there. Okay, all right, I appreciate that. That makes a lot of sense because when they get there, it's it's vacant, and they have their heart to heart. Yeah. Oh my god, I was okay. So I just have a funny story about the the Mothergate room. Okay. But essentially, there is a video game called Dead by Daylight. Yes. And for a while, Dead by Daylight had a partnership with Stranger Things and they had a Stranger Things chapter and they had a Steve survivor and a Nancy survivor and they had the Demogorgon as a killer <laughs> and then they had Hawkins National Lab as a map. And the whole point of Dead by Daylight is there's four survivors and one killer on a map and it's like essentially a hide and seek type of game where you have to survive. But one of the streamers that we watch on Twitch, whenever this map would come up and they would go to the room in Hawkins where Mothergate was, he would call it the butthole room. And like, I just can't not think of mo the Mothergate room as the butthole room. The butthole room. <laughs> Again, please feel free to do with that what you will, but I almost just called it the butthole room, which is what made, what made, I was going to say, you know, they're having the heart to heart in the butthole room. But <laughs> I, I have a good, um, okay. I don't want to call it a butthole story, but <laughs> doing i don't know but anyway if any of you out there if any of you out there watch the youtuber sophia nygaard she does like um i don't know a lot of different content but she had like a lipstick um collaboration with ColourPop for a while and she always talks about if the lipstick covers like the inner part of your lip and she calls it the butthole and sometimes i forget that not everybody calls that the butthole <laughs> didn't i tell you a butthole story about lipstick recently probably <laughs> about mla from the league Oh, Mouth yes, like yes, anus. yes, yes, yes. Butthole. Yes, the butthole. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway. That's enough about buttholes for one episode <laughs> of this podcast. Oh, my God. Don't listen to this with your children. No. Listen, we mark them explicit for a reason, okay? And <laughs> and everyone has a butthole. So it's like... So <laughs> true, okay? So true. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I hope that's beautiful. Well amazing what are we talking about <laughs> <laughs> buttholes <laughs> entry holes entry holes buttholes buttholes all the holes synonyms <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> okay let's move on from that so <laughs> anyway let's go back to the mall <laughs> okay it's safe there i like safe it there. there there's no buttholes <laughs> Back at the mall, Dustin and Steve continue their search for an evil Russian. They spot a tall blonde man with long hair, sunglasses, and a duffel bag and profile the shit out of him. <laughs> they try to follow behind him, but they are really bad at not being noticed. Dustin pretends to talk on a payphone and we get the iconic, <laughs> hello, yes, I am fine, how are you? <laughs> 
They continue to follow from a safer distance only to discover that the duffel bag held a giant boombox and our evil Russian dude is actually a jazzercise instructor. Wake me up before you go-go next time. <laughs> I did also say, ah, yes, just some casual racial profiling. Right? <laughs> like, what is happening here? They're like, oh my gosh, a tall blonde man. He is evil. <laughs> he is evil and Russian. I like how the captions capitalize evil Russian. Yes. It's like Russian, name. yes, but evil doesn't need to be capitalized it's his title yes evil russian on his name tag hello yes i am fine (laughs) how are you (laughs) what is this banger that plays like as they're running you know like the real industrial sounding one i thought you might know i don't know oh darn okay hang on let's find out it's not here either it's probably on the soundtrack dealer yeah maybe it's it's really good it's like very synthy and industrially and it it sounds like hitting metal poles okay i like it that sounds great it is so check that out <laughs> <laughs> the hitting metal poles song yes i do they is jazzercise still a thing i don't know but we could like research that it seems fun yeah let's go to jazzercise okay steve is not mad to be watching it I, you know I didn't pick up on that until this watch through. He's perfectly happy. He's like, oh my God. Wow. And we thought butts. only Billy. God damn it. How are we back? The butts, butts are back. <laughs> no more butts. No more butts. I'm putting an end to it. <laughs> I thought Billy was the only one interested in moms, but turns out Steve is too. <laughs> also, how do they know this guy is not still an evil Russian? Maybe Very he, true. He teaches jazzercise on the side. This could be his cover. Yes. Yes. Every good spy has a cover. In the back room at Scoops Ahoy, Robin continues reading the Russian spy code to figure out what it means. Just then, there is a knock at the back door. A delivery! Robin signs for it, but when she looks up at the man's hat, something clicks. The delivery service is called Lynx, Silver Cat. Following this epiphany, she abandons ship and runs into the mall lobby. She looks around and finds Imperial Panda. A trip to China sounds nice. Right above it, Kaufman's shoes, if you tread lightly. And then she sees the giant analog clock with a blue hour hand and a yellow minute hand when blue meets yellow in the West. Steve and Dustin find her and ask what she's doing. And she reveals that she cracked the code. Can we get like a read through of the code? Yes. I want us to just read the code. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yes. Okay. Wait, are are we reading it together? No. Oh, okay, okay. I don't know why. When you asked me if I was ready, it's I was like, unison. <laughs> is this like church where I should repeat after you? Or yes. All right, ready. Okay, I'll do the it. The week is long. The week is long. The silver cat feeds the silver when blue cat. meets yellow. Oh. <laughs> Forget it. You just do it. The week is long. The silver cat feeds when blue meets yellow in the west. A trip to China sounds nice if you tread lightly. There it is. There's the code. I I love the scene, but I have to say it feels like a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> I literally wrote, this all feels like a huge stretch, yeah, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Like, okay, the trip to China sounds nice. Maybe. Maybe you could get. And blue meets yellow in the West. Okay. That's sure. the best part. Right. Blue meeting yellow. That's the best Cody code. Like that like, part clicks to me. That makes that sense. That checks out. Kaufman's shoes is tread if lightly tread seriously lightly you how, know how would you ever what you, you treaded on your shoes i mean yeah but like i don't know this was definitely a stretch for me 
I mean, not to say that Robin's not super smart. No, I think she's mesmerizing to watch do this. I and agree. it's really satisfying to watch it come together. Like, I love me a good puzzle piecing together. Me too. I love the scene, like, just for that reason. Like, it's I love, like, the the circular shot. Like, it's so cool. Listen, you can't have a season of Stranger Things without this. Yeah. Without this, this puzzle piecing. It has to happen. Very true. So there we go. This is what it is. I forgot to show you this. Can you open my my notes document for yeah, a sec hold on okay and then when you do scroll down to page five and there's there's two pictures at the bottom of the page this lynx guy looks so much like the fake repairman from season one and i thought he does i thought they were the same person are they i looked it up uh agent repairman as he is known from season one is portrayed by robert walker Bren Shard, and the Lynx delivery man here is played by Darren Kahn. Okay, so just two generic-looking white dudes. Yep, but, like, it feels like they're two just, like, henchmen, and they look exactly the same. <laughs> they couldn't just call Robert right. back and be like, we need a guy that looks like you. Can you come back and reprise this role? <laughs> Though, I guess they probably didn't, because it feels like he was probably killed in the van flip at some point. Ah, yes. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So okay. they had to hire a new guy who looked just like him. All right. Okay. The kids here, they, they abandon their post so much at this store. They do. They don't care. Do they have a manager? No. Are they the only two that work here? Yes. That's so They weird. run it. Clearly. <laughs> I've never seen another employee. No. Never. Back at Hawkins Post, Nancy is fulfilling the wet dreams of all the misogynists she works with by pouring coffee for incompetent men who wear diapers. Can you tell mm. them, mad? When she opens the cabinet to get mugs, a plastic rat hanging in the cabinet scares her and all the men laugh. Just then, Nancy bursts into the dark room, once again ruining Jonathan's photos. She tells Jonathan that they need to go get Driscoll's rat for proof that their story is legit. Jonathan tries his best to talk her out of it. Nancy gives him an out, telling Jonathan to just give her the keys if he doesn't want to go. He says she's relentless and reluctantly agrees to go. The woman walking by outside is holding a red umbrella and then they are standing in the red light of the dark room. Ooh, yeah. Cool. I love it. Red. It's a great Taylor Swift album. I was waiting for it. There it is. <laughs> the Taylor Swift reference of the day. <laughs> the, the, the pause before. I was like, here it comes. Here it comes. <laughs> Brace for impact, everyone. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, I had to point out this little delicious tidbit about Nancy's just whole person. Okay. Nancy says, I'm right. And Jonathan says, that's not the point. And Nancy says, so what is the point? <laughs> Further proof of Nancy's sheer obsession with being right, putting her in chaotic neutral. Yeah, for sure. She's like, if, if the point's not me being right, then what's the point? Why would I even bother doing this? It's so tunnel vision. Yes. It really is. It, it is. truly is. Like, I, I have to commend her headstrongness here yeah i love the give me the keys then she's like i don't need you dude like yeah. i'll do this myself right which is great to watch especially back to back with robin having her moment i know the ladies of this chapter are just kicking ass and taking names agreed back at hawkins lab hopper shows joyce the cement that was put in to fill the gate he tries to convince her that their whole ordeal is over joyce says that she feels like she's losing her mind Hopper reveals that he almost shot a neighbor's dog recently, thinking it was a demodog. 
He tells her that he wants her to feel safe and that Hawkins is still her home, revealing that the one contractor in town told him that Joyce was fixing up the house to sell it. He tells her that he felt the same way after he lost Sarah, that he had to outrun the memories. But Joyce's situation is different because there are people around who know what she's been through and care about her. She jokes that those people are Scott Clark, and Hopper (laughs) has to take every fiber of his being to chuckle. Just then, a clatter is heard on the floor above. Hopper tells Joyce to wait behind him as he investigates the halls in search of the sound. I only just thought of this now, but this is reminding me a little bit of Mike and Elle in The Monster and the Superhero. Yeah. Like, I've been bullied my whole life. Like, why didn't you feel like you could tell me this? This is Hopper being like, hey, you know, like, I went through this too. Yeah. You know, like, you're not going crazy. We we went through this together. It just kind of has that same vibe. Again, Hopper and Mike. Mm -hmm. Very similar. Very similar. I kind of wish we got this scene that apparently happened off camera where they filled the gate with cement yeah first because of all, i was like where's the hole yeah first of all what are the logistics of that how do you <laughs> how does one do that sideways and also it just i don't know it would have felt very symbolic to see although it's mm. like kind of not real because the gate opens back up again so i can see why they didn't go through the trouble no but that's a great question about the physics of that right <laughs> how do you fill a vertical space with cement yeah i don't i mean i'm sure that obviously they make slabs of cement you know bridges and things like that so yeah i know there's a way we're just not engineers (laughs) yeah they probably didn't fill the the hole they probably placed something yeah like a slab against it it. yeah Mm -hmm. all right yeah also gary the contractor Mm. huge invasion of privacy man why would you tell hopper that that's a great question not cool that isn't cool and i also think it's like do you remember watching this for the first time and like you feel like an impending dread that the buyers are moving mm-hmm. like you feel that as like a viewer yeah like what do you mean you're moving the yeah, show it has this, to happen this, you can't leave <laughs> this bomb is just being dropped on us too we're like hold on yeah, you can't exactly. leave exactly yeah and it's like how are we gonna how is stranger things gonna happen if the buyers move <laughs> and the, the, ki- the kids don't know she hasn't yeah that them. too yep yeah it is it is certainly a bomb it is that gets dropped casually yes the shot when Hopper's walking away with the gun and we see like just the shadow of him cocking mm. the gun. It's very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ruins is playing, which is, it has no business. Yeah. The synth melody in that song off of the season three soundtrack. Nice. Yeah. Mike and Lucas bike through the intense rain to the buyer's house to find Will. They pound on the door, apologizing and begging to speak to him. But Will doesn't hear them because he's outside in Castle Buyers. He looks at old comics and his D&D book, fondly remembering the campaign they played in the chapter named after that time he went missing. <laughs> Fond memories. Fond memories. He looks around at his drawings and photos and remembers more fun times when the boys were younger. He whispers stupid to himself, coming to terms with the fact that his friends are growing up without him. He becomes emotional and starts tearing all the pictures off the walls of Castle Byers. He grabs a baseball bat and starts swinging at the structure while crying and screaming. Did you notice that Mike and Lucas are in green and blue raincoats and lucas is in a blue raincoat and max is in a yellow raincoat and blue meets yellow in the west (laughs) well that has to be purposeful maybe i don't know i just was like obsessed with colors so i I just i love it yeah i thought like why put them in such vibrantly colored raincoats all of different colors yes they all have different colors and interestingly um i noticed this in an earlier scene but max's raincoat has 
red lining. Like she's in the mm. yellow raincoat and it has red lining and Elle's raincoat has blue lining. And I'm pretty sure I think either Lucas's or Mike's it's the flip-flop. Mm-hmm. One is blue with green lining, but I think the green lining is a plaid. Oh. Okay. I could be wrong, but I think yes, I think that happens with Lucas and Mike's raincoats too. I like that. I appreciate that Mike and Lucas came all this way to apologize and not leave him alone. And finally, someone remembers what happened last time. We let Will bike away at night alone. Come on now. Honestly, so much vanishing of Will Byers happening. Right? Like, hello. Thank goodness somebody went after him. Yeah. Like, they actually look for him in the pouring rain. Yeah. Like they were doing in that first chapter. Yeah. And they find him this time. And such a shout out to Noah for the scene. I mean... It is incredible. His emotion is so good. Mm -hmm. And by the way, that that first F-bomb, it happens around 37 minutes, 13 seconds. Mm. So yeah, and look out for that. It's just like, I feel like it's hard for us as an audience to watch it because I do feel like to an extent, again, especially upon first watch, before we have the appreciation of what the characters go through from like further away. Yeah. But, like, freshly watching this, I feel like we are all kind of going through this with Will. Like, mm-hmm. where is Dustin? Nobody cares. Why does every- yeah, like, why does the party feel so broken up? Where is everyone? What is going on? Yeah. And I just think we feel that, too, watching this. Like, hello? For sure. Yeah. It's just so It's just so vanishing of Will Byers. Like, I even think of, not even vanishing of Will Byers, but season one. Like, what does he destroy Castle Byers with? A baseball bat. What does jonathan make and then steve ultimately use a baseball bat i don't oh, yeah. know it's just you know maybe it's just the prop department but like <laughs> i'm sitting here making connections <laughs> that may or may not exist but i like them yeah i will thanks. choose to believe they exist thank you nancy and jonathan run up and knock on mrs driscoll's door also i have questions because why is it pitch black outside and they just left work to come here the time it took to it apparently took them several hours to get to mrs driscoll's house in the same town but okay <laughs> they stopped at the restaurant they st- the one <laughs> the diner i don't know but mrs driscoll doesn't answer jonathan suggests that they leave but nancy is concerned something might have happened to her which okay fair she's fair old. she just casually breaks into the house to make sure she is okay she and jonathan go to the basement where they find an empty and torn bag of fertilizer They hear roaring and other monstrous noises coming from another room, and they discover Mrs. Driscoll roaring and going to town on some fertilizer. What a bizarre scene this is. (laughs) So weird. (laughs) It's like rabid old woman chowing down on some dirt. Like, what are we seeing? And the look on her face when she looks up at them is so horrifying. It's not right. Something isn't right here. (laughs) Why are these two so dumb? (laughs) I don't know. Clearly that woman is making upside down noises. She's eating fertilizer. She's roaring. Hello. (laughs) Please exit on the right. Like, what are you guys doing? I don't know. I also noticed that there's like 4,000 clocks in this scene. Mm -hmm. Okay, three. (laughs) But there are, like, in a 20-second span when they walk into the house and into the basement, just that small little adventure, there's, like, three clocks that you see. That feels significant. There's a lot of clocks. And monstrous chittering. And monstrous chittering and old women feasting on some fertilizer. (laughs) (laughs) I just... It's all very Nancy Drew, though. Again, like, Mm. the descent into the house and seeing all these like personal effects yeah. and ha- it's very it's very nancy drew 
I even think of the cover of The Hidden Staircase, which is the second Nancy Drew book. Yeah. And she's in a basement with a flashlight. She's going up the steps, but still. Yeah. Very Nancy Drew. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Back at the mall, it is late at night. Robin, Steve, and Dustin are camped out on the roof with binoculars at the delivery bay looking for Kaufman's shoes. They realize that the delivery room is armed by a giant guy with a giant gun. As Dustin and Steve argue over the binoculars, they clatter to the ground, alerting the giant gun guy. The three duck out of sight, and in the tropiest trope ever, Steve and Robin realize they are holding hands. One of the scary gun guys makes his way to the roof, but the trio are already inside, power walking away from that mess. There's just no way. Yeah. Th- again, this whole- kind of a stretch. I'm just, um, th- yeah, like there's just simply no way that in a monsoon they heard this binocular clank. So true. And then proceeded to come up to the rooftop. I don't know. Like, find the exact right place. And also, like, my first stretch of the imagination here is it feels weird that they would be doing this super secret business, like, out in the open. Like, sure. Anyone could be there. Anybody could be, anybody could see. Yeah, anyone. Like, and anyone, you know, they can't see what's in the boxes, obviously, but. It seems pretty weird that a mall delivery would be armed by, like, gigantic Russian dudes with machine guns. For sure. Just machine... Take Russian dudes right. aside. Just anybody <laughs> armed with machine guns um, supervising a mall delivery seems is just questionable. Very <laughs> sus. I don't know what like, you're delivering to the mall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't... Me either. I'm going to pretend I did not see that. Yeah, no. Steve and Jonathan both, to me, are always giving, like reluctant i don't want to be here Mm. and yet they always are they always are there aren't they they're ever present they are and robin's raincoat is also red yes hello hello to our red raincoats girls and there was a red wagon outside of mrs driscoll's house which i forgot to say in the previous scene oh all right i'm i think i'm done now i'm restraining myself from making another taylor swift reference <laughs> Hold it back, girl. I'm trying. <laughs> I, me, my restraint is, is 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 Hopper trying his best to laugh at Joyce's joke about Mr. Clark. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I can do it. At the lab, Hopper flashlights his way through the halls, looking for the source of the noise. As he makes his way into an office, he announces himself, bursts in, and finds nothing. Suddenly, the Terminator appears and begins beating the ever-loving shit out of Hopper. Joyce hears the commotion and comes running, but she is too late. The Terminator did his terminating, and he's going to terminate his time here at the lab. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. She notices a motorcycle riding away. I just have score stuff. Oh, cool. I just want to, like, do we ever figure out what the Terminator's deal is? Who does he work for? Does he work for the the mayor, the KGB, the Russian government? Does he just hate Hopper? What is his problem? Well, the mayor is in cahoots with Russia. Right. So it's all connected. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it does seem like he works for Klein, sort of, but Klein's a swine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he is. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know. I I just feel like we never get like a super clear answer on what the hell the Mm -hmm. Terminator's deal is. I agree. I think he's just, he's the, he's like an intimidation factor. Yeah, he's like the enforcer. He's like, exactly. My two bangers off the score here are Breaking and Entering <laughs> off of the season three score. Appropriate. And Chicago off of the season two score. Ooh. I love to see like which random pieces of music they pull in from previous seasons. Yeah, and, I like that. And why. Like, yeah. <laughs> like lamps from season one. Right? Like what's that doing here? What are you doing? <laughs> love that. 
Max and Elle bike in the pouring rain to find the house that Elle saw in her mind void. Elle breaks in, using her powers to open their lock. Breaking in. Three of them. Breaking ins. Oh, oh. Oh, three. Wait. Mrs. Driscoll's house, the lab, and now the hallways. There's a lot of breaking in here. That's right. They walk in and hear music and laughter in the dining room. They walk in to find Billy at the dining room table with Heather's parents yucking it up. The girls apologize for barging in, and Billy wants to know what they're doing here. They just wanted to make sure Heather was okay since they didn't show up for work. Just as creepy Billy wants to know Elle's name, (laughs) an even more dead-eyed Heather comes out of the kitchen with some cookies, which she offers to the girls. The girls leave the Holloway house more confused than when they arrived. What is with the decor of this house? It's so eerie. And again, liminal. It is liminal, but it's also like, it it is just Asian-style furniture to an insulting degree. (laughs) I didn't notice that. (laughs) Oh my God, it's bad. It's like cultural appropriation bad like like the the western fetishization of eastern culture like go Uh, back and look at this house i didn't notice that yes wow that's and it's so like i love that they give you that in the decor because it gives you a really good insight into who these people are who they are yes it like this is the first time that i noticed how much asian style furniture and decor is present in this house interesting and, it's, and it has no business being it's there. so gaudy the whole house is so gaudy like and i think again we're supposed to look at that and be like okay they're rich like that's what we're taking away from this these are rich mm-hmm. privileged people and okay so speaking of like a big gaudy house if if you out there have watched parks and recreation I keep thinking that this woman is newscaster Joan Calamezzo, but it is not. And the reason I say that is because we see Joan's house and it is really gaudy. It kind of reminds me of this. But no, that woman who plays Joan Calamezzo is Mo Collins and Janet Holloway is played by Holly Morris. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, But they look really similar. Yeah. I noticed maybe a little, a little tidbit um, or not. I'm not sure. But... I felt like it was kind of a little hint that Billy is not, is less himself because Mm. he refers to Max as his sister. He does. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. That like, I was like, ooh, that's weird. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to say condescending. Mm. It's like you hate her, but you introduce her as your sister when you're trying to be spiteful. I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Like he's trying to be the goody two-shoes here like oh this is my delinquent sister who's dripping all over your living room and broke into your house right yeah right right i also love the way he says heather heather (laughs) (laughs) when she comes out of the kitchen and he like presents her with his palm he's like heather there she is alive and well look at her alive yeah but like who do the holloways think he is like her boyfriend that they've never heard about. Is this like about? her new like, boyfriend? Yeah, it's so weird. Like they're instantly charmed by this guy. And he's just like her coworker at the pool. I know, it's it's odd. It is. Doesn't the portraiture of the Holloways, I don't know if you can picture it, mm-hmm. remind you of the portraiture that we see of the Cunninghams in season four? Mm-hmm. This like eerie nuclear family yeah. like with the port it just reminded me so much of the the cunningham portrait that we see when chrissy is running from vecna in her house yeah and her I- dining room table is channeling miss havisham <laughs> but like i like that detail though because i think that that's supposed to signify to us that like this is the perfect target for the mind mm. flayer because mm-hmm. they outwardly appear to be a perfect well-adjusted well-off family and no one would ever suspect anything from them yes exactly 
And no, I definitely do not want a cookie, Zombie Heather. No, I'm good. I'm all good on those cookies. Pretty sure they have fertilizer in them. Yep. No thanks. Can't imagine how that smells. Yep. Anyway. <laughs> the girls bike away, and Billy stares intently at Elle, with this MF inside having flashbacks of her closing the gate and realizing who she is. She shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it upset him. <laughs> His eyes go black, and over at the remnants of Castle Byers, Will's Fladar acts up once again. Just then, Lucas and Mike finally find him and ask if he is okay. Will turns around and says, he's back. Thanks, William the Wise. He is wise. All right. Is Billy, is the Mind Flayer looking at Elle and being like, that's the one who closed my door? And if the Mind Flayer is looking at Elle and is like, that one, that girl, why, who is she? Why wouldn't we know, why wouldn't this MF know who Elle was? If Vecna was at all relevant in this conversation, wouldn't Vecna know who Elle was? Yeah, very right? true. Yeah. So like, I mean, maybe uh, like what I took from it was like, that's our target. Like, okay. Was, was the mind flayer trying to communicate to Billy? Like, that's the one. Okay. All right. You know, like, I, th- I think that the mind flayer did know who she was and, I mean, also Vecna tells us in season four that his literal plan with the flaying was to steal her powers. So there was a plan in place to find her specifically. I need to get there. Oh. I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. I haven't watched season four. <laughs> you haven't? No, I've never seen never season seen it? four. Never once. <laughs> Not you, one time. You aren't literally in the middle of watching it right now? Not at all. <laughs> I don't know who you are. <laughs> never seen it. There's a season four? Weird. Weird. <laughs> There's a season four. When did that come out? (laughs) (laughs) All right. No, but I appreciate that explanation. Yeah. Like I think. Okay. I think. Like a, like a, like a homing in on. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Literally. (laughs) Yeah. That's what it is. It is. The Holloways put on a little Don McLean and say bye-bye to Miss American Pie. Billy assures them that everything is fine. Janet Mm. knocks over her wine, but Tom told her to slow down on that wine, Janet. (laughs) <laughs> such an asshole i know which by the way i just have to interject here and say that uh me and eli love to say that to each other <laughs> whenever we're clumsy <laughs> she says that she's feeling a little lightheaded and is gonna go lie down before she makes it about 10 feet she hits the ground tom gets up to see if she is okay but before he can do much for her heather smacks the shit out of her dad which he had coming before chloroforming him and telling him not to worry it'll all be over soon don't you just love how bored Billy looks as this is happening? He has like a teeny little smirk right at the end. Yeah, like, but like when he's like sitting at the table still and he's like p- putting the chloroform on the rag, like he just looks apathetic. Yeah, like, he's like, oh, bu- all right, I gotta do this. Business man. as usual. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> he just he just looks so purely uninterested in what's going on. He's just doing his job. Dacre is fantastic. Yes, he is. He's so good. So disarmingly creepy. Yeah, he's just, he's really channeled whatever the fuck this is. Yeah. <laughs> he's just brought it here. He, he did, go, you would you would think he's been flayed before. You would think he's had this experience in his <laughs> real life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I just thought it was interesting that music is playing here. And yeah. we sort of get that, like, in season four, when we get the flashback in the massacre at Hawkins Lab, we see... Henry sitting at the dining room table with his family before he vexes them and there's music playing. Yeah, that is interesting. 
Yeah. And the music is so, this choice is so tongue in cheek too. It's like, I mean, the song in and of itself has an upbeat melody, but it is about not upbeat things. Yes. And that's quite literally what is happening right here. There's this upbeat melody happening as this family is combusting. Yes. Literally. Literally combusting. And, and it's very fitting because we're about to get to the 4th of July and yeah you know america themed yeah yeah wow okay anything else to add about the scene no i don't think so i think that that about does it wow what an episode i i kind of forgot how like action-packed it is but also it is very i was like it's very interesting that we still haven't made it to like the main part of this season and we're three whole episodes in yeah all right so with that said let's get into our mvp bitch Okay, sure. Bitchin'. What did you put? So I struggled, as I always do, with both of these, but I picked Will for my MVP. Hmm. Yeah, I just think that he stood up for himself, and I think he expressed what a lot of the audience was feeling. And I think when he tears, like, apart Castle Byers, again, this is something that we are all feeling. So I just, I don't know, I just, Will feels like he... He had a moment this chapter where he like stuck it to them. He was like, what the fuck is going on? And he calls Mike Michael at one point. Yeah. He, <laughs> he <does>. called Mike Michael. <laughs> is it early Michael? Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I wanted to give it to Will because I think he, he spoke for all of us watching this chapter in season three. What the fuck is going on? I think that was a good choice. Thanks. Who did you pick? So... I did criticize her earlier, but I'm going to pick Joyce. So okay. I criticized her for not apologizing to Hopper, but her mission is a bit more important than that. And she does stick to it. And yeah. despite, you know, the personal drama that Hopper's trying to bring into it, she's just literally ignoring him mm. and she's not giving up on her hunch, you know, she's tr- yeah. trusting her gut. And that's usually how we end up solving most problems in the show when the women in the show trust their gut. Agreed. I like that choice. Thank you. Shout out to Joyce and Will who went down memory lane this this chapter. Yeah. All right. How about LVP? Losers? What losers? So I, I came up with this on the spot because I couldn't think of one. And I think it was kind of inspired by like our conversation. But I have to say Hopper again. Ah! Yeah. He, ah! he was pretty rough. sorry hop i don't know it just started off really bad and then you mentioned the point about why are you disclosing this like even if the contractor disclosed that and he shouldn't have hopper why are you now disclosing that you i don't know hopper just feels like he's off his game so far in season three yes he drove drunk home kept drinking true i don't i don't know it's just i'm not shaming drinking at all i just you know I just hoppered. I struggle with him so far. Yeah, me too. He he he'll turn it around real soon, but he does. Uh my Who LVP, I said Tom. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, like I said For earlier, sure. he just not only allowed his employees to berate Nancy in a very sexist mm-hmm. way, but he participated and made it worse. And he's just like gen- like you can just tell how this guy feels about women, like the way he talks to his wife, awful. So, yeah. You know what? Heather, you did what we all wanted to do. Smack him, him over, over the, the head, head with, with a, a bottle. bottle. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's my LVP. No, I like that. That makes a lot of sense. That's a good one. 
All right, so let's get to our final segment, Mall Rat Moments. That's totally against the rules. I make my own rules. All right, this is a quick one. Yeah, this is a quick one. <laughs> it's not like a whole long-winded story. No. <laughs> but I don't know why I just have this vivid memory, and I thought of it because this, this Gus sleepover is going on in this chapter. Mm-hmm. And Amanda and I were having a sleepover at my, my dad's house. And we, up until as of late, were unhealthily obsessed with Panic at the Disco. Yes, like a lot. Okay, like, like, wow, you need to calm down. Don't, don't do it. Don't <laughs> well, do it. Well, you did it this time. <laughs> <laughs> the masses are brainwashing me into thinking everything yes. is about Taylor Swift. Join the club. <laughs> So we were having a sleepover and it was the night before we were going to see Panic at the Disco. And if you must know the exact date, it was June 30th, 2006. And a bunch of our listeners out there may not have been born yet. That's very possible. I hate that so much. (laughs) (laughs) So we were having the sleepover and we obviously had to stay up all night because why would you sleep at a sleepover? sleepover? And I'm, I'm pretty sure... We were like absolutely blasting <laughs> high school musical music in what? my bedroom, which shared a wall with my dad's room. <laughs> right? Yeah. It had to be like 5 a.m. And was, at one yeah. point, in like true hopper fashion, my dad opens my bedroom door and he's like, You gotta stop. <laughs> <laughs> and we were, it was like the, um, the movie version with the words at the bottom so you could like sing along to the song. And we were doing a full duet of Breaking Free, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. In the bedroom, which shared a wall with my dad's room at five in the morning. <laughs> yeah. And he just very candidly came in and was just like this, you, you gotta stop. Please go to bed. <laughs> please, please. Like, I'm imagining him laying in his bed like Hopper was like reclined. Yeah, like... <laughs> shoving Tostitos into his mouth. Yes. So no, that, that was your yeah. poor dad. Oh man, that man. Yes. The, uh, the, and the calmest, the calmest ever. Like so many so parents calm. would just come in there and be like, what the fuck are you doing? And he was just nope. like, you have to go to bed. <laughs> you gotta stop. <laughs> I just feel like I have that distinct him saying those words. Yeah. Like one time Amanda and I tried to bring juice up to my bedroom and my dad was like, where are you going with that juice? <laughs> we were like, oh, no, he said, you going to be nice with those cups? <laughs> <laughs> and that was an inside joke for years. That's what it was. You're going to be nice with those cups. Honestly, like, we could do a whole mean? segment on the show just telling funny stories about Marina's dad from my youth. <laughs> You're going to be nice with those cups? Like the loofah story. Oh, God, the loofah. All right. Maybe next <laughs> yeah, week next we'll talk, we'll about, talk about loofahs. Loofah. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, this was a fun episode, everybody. This was fun. I hope you all enjoyed as usual. Yay. Okay. Well, till next time, everybody. Stay strange. Stay strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall. Mm-hmm.